With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Amanda Fernandez found her own educational experience lukewarm and challenging. Would it have been different if she'd been surrounded by Latino educators who were invested in her success, who really saw her? That question is at the heart of Latinos for Education, an organization Amanda co-founded and now leads, creating leadership pathways for emerging Latino leaders in education. We talk about why mission creep is sometimes necessary and what being a parent and advocating for her own children has taught her about the future of education. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Alicia, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited about this interview for a number of reasons, one of which is you now join a long list of Midwest Latinas that we have had on this show. So I want to know how the Cubans ended up in farmland. Wow, I didn't know I was in such good company of so many Latinas. There are more of you than people realize. (laughs) I, I wish I had known that 45 years ago. Don't mean to date myself, but that's around the time of my upbringing in West Central Illinois, a small farming community that had a small university. When my parents came to the United States from Cuba, they were there for a little while working, you know, any kind of job that they could. And then my father found out about a resettlement program of sorts that was resettling Cubans to the Midwest. My parents first landed in Iowa on the day that John F. Kennedy was uh, assassinated. And the first time they had seen snow in their lives, 
And it was a cold, bitter November day. And that was their sort of welcome to the Midwest. There's a familiar element to your family story, at least familiar to me. You know, my family came from Cuba in the 1950s. My tia Kacha, I think everyone acknowledges, is the smartest sibling on that side of the family. My dad got to go to college. She did not. And there's just an incredible splitting of the road from that moment in their lives. The same thing plays out in your family. It sure does. So my father had been educated in Cuba. My mother had a high school level education. And when they got here through this resettlement program, while it was really difficult and a long road, my father was able to get a degree in the United States and went as far as getting his PhD to teach Spanish at Western Illinois University, which is why we landed there. What the juxtaposition in that fork was that my mother, with limited English language ability and high school education worked in the kitchens of the dorm buildings on the same campus that my father taught at. So my mother talks about how she chopped lettuce in those kitchens for 25 plus years. And boy, she could make a beautiful salad, but she had dreams and and aspirations herself uh, that weren't realized. Very different paths were carved out because of educational opportunity. And when I reflect back on why I'm doing what I do now, I really think that's foundational. You describe your own educational experience as lukewarm and challenging. Can you tell me about a time that illustrates what you mean when you say it was lukewarm or it was challenging? It's a little bit of a difficult question to answer because it has a lot of emotion attached to it. When I think back on what my educational experience was, I think especially in high school is where things changed a lot for me. I ended up being what I would characterize as a disaffected student in high school. I had a lot of challenges with subjects like math and science and I I didn't know where to go. I think I had shame that I couldn't just do it and understand it. And I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't know how to even talk to my parents about it. I wanted to be seen. And I really didn't feel like I was in the ways that really mattered for my having a trajectory that would allow me to have access to a great education. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. 
Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. This is not where you start your career. You spend seven years at Deloitte before you even start to get that inkling that it is time to shift. And it's not the only pivot you have, right? You go from Deloitte to Bridgespan. Bridgespan was one of the places. And I worked at a couple of other companies in between. And then 9-11 happens. What is it about September 11th that changes you? So as you might imagine, my parents were like, Get a job at a company. That's what you need to go do. Go be a secretary in La Procter in Gambon. And that's what like what it was. And so guess what? I tried to get a job as a secretary at Procter and Gamble. It didn't work. I didn't, I didn't get a, the job. <laughs> But I, I went into the corporate world and I'd been working a lot. I really sacrificed a lot of my life for the job and sort of the expectations of being visible, of always being available, of working on weekends. And that's what I was doing in New York City in my role at the time when 9-11 happened. And as I think probably for a lot of people, it was a crucible moment to uh, really reflect on how you were living your life at that time. It was just a reminder that I needed to do something different because my passion was not coming through in the current work that I was doing. What I really had cared about was parts of my work that had been about equity, opportunity, meritocracy, and leveling the playing field for primarily Black and Latino employees of a corporation. That's where I got my energy And I wanted to figure out how I got back into that space because that's what mattered to me. How did you, though, assess the void that there was when it came to work in the educational nonprofit sector with Latinos for Education? What was the problem you were solving for? And how did you arrive at your theory of change about what it was going to take to meet that need? I was able to spend about five years uh, working at Teach for America with the focus on the Latino community. And first off, I saw for myself and experienced for myself what the problem was. The problem was, was that we were seeing a tremendously growing Latino population. We have, in just a couple of years, one in three school children will identify as Latino. And that, that was happening years and years ago. We all know this. But I was not seeing the representation of educators increase relative to that 
population growth. And so through my own eyes and experiences, I saw the impact that a Latino teacher can make on their Latino students. And I would say the experience that really crystallized that the most for me was when I was able to spearhead an effort to recruit more documented young people into the teaching profession. And the ability for undocumented American young people in front of classrooms that were telling their, the children in their classrooms that you can be me made a real difference. And then I needed data and facts, right? So part of that professional life really informed this ability to create a theory of change, which was we believe that when Latino children have an educator and system leaders that reflect their experiences and backgrounds, that we will be able to see closing gaps in educational access and opportunity because we know that that representation matters. And through the research that I did, I wrote a business plan. I verified that indeed there was a gap. There were there was no other organization in the country that's doing quite the work that we're doing at the national level. We know Latinos want to lead and succeed as educators. We need to start eliminating those barriers for our educators to access those opportunities. And not quite so simple, but that's how Latinos for Education was born. There's a part of that story that I want to underline, and that is this idea that you're writing a business plan for a nonprofit entity. Because I think people who haven't spent time in the nonprofit space sometimes aren't aware. You're talking multi-million dollar budgets. You're talking big fundraising. So talk me through that plan and the amount of money and funding it takes to get an organization like Latinos for Education off the ground. First, there was a great deal of pressure to get off the ground. And that was my husband telling me that you have six months to write your business plan and to get this thing off the ground because we've got a mortgage to pay. He was like, okay, I'm supportive of your dreams, but we have children. <laughs> we've got a house we've got to pay off. And so there you have it. My background in strategic planning and change management and human resources consulting has been foundational to, I think, the building of the organization that work and that experience really helped me to build a business plan that would be credible to funders. Because guess what? Less than 2% of philanthropic dollars goes to Latino founded and led nonprofit organizations across the country. And we have hundreds of thousands of nonprofits across the country. So I felt like I had sort of the double whammy of like, people don't have a clear understanding of the Latino community. And it was several years before equity was such a big word in the philanthropic world. In the early part of my career, I did nonprofit work and there was a pattern that emerged again and again, which was this idea of mission creep, where an organization that does A 
but all of a sudden there's $250,000 available and funding available to do B. So all of a sudden you're doing B and then there's $100,000 that shows up for item C and then all of a sudden you have sort of lost your way and you're no longer clear about the problem you're solving for or how you believe you're going to solve it. How do you avoid that happening inside your organization? It's really hard to avoid mission crate when there are so many issues that get in the way of Latino students accessing a good education. So when I started Latinos for Education, it was just whatever funding I can get to get us started. I first got $5,000, then I got $100,000, and then about a year after my business plan had been written, I got sort of that first big check of about half a million dollars. And I do think it takes about a million dollars in funding to get an organization off the ground. And that funding has to be uh, non-discretionary funding. And so that is super important. And I think that lesson has helped us in terms of how we think about growth and what conditions need to be in place before we will grow and expand. I will tell you, Alicia, though, that during the pandemic, we've had to have some mission creep because it's been absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary that we get involved in different ways that might not be all about educator leadership development. We had to do some translation for some school districts in Spanish because we saw that Latino families were getting very limited information and not getting nearly the same amount of information that would have been written in English, right? So English speaking families. Here in Massachusetts, where I'm at, I helped support a group of nonprofit leaders in Boston who wanted to start learning pods to make sure that Latino and Black kids had a place to go during the day. We're getting three meals a day and getting an education. We just, I just jumped right in because it had to be done. In addition to the work you do to advocate for the community at large, you also have two kids of your own. And I wonder, as a mom, what counsel would you give other parents, other caretakers when it comes to being a good advocate for a child's education? It's another really emotional place for me. So here I am with a college education. I'm running my own organization. I've learned how to navigate the world. But when I had the experience with my own son who had different needs in school, I didn't know how to advocate for him. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I spent many years trying to figure it out. Because guess what? I'm supposed to be humble and school. I'm supposed to leave the schools to know the answer. And I didn't know how to get into that space to advocate for the needs of my child until I did know. And then, y entonces, prepárate. Because then I became that fierce advocate that would not relent. And that is what I advise to families. Because guess what? The last couple of years, we got the 
most eye-opening experience into the educational system. We as families, we as parents, we as caregivers need to insert ourselves and be the advocates that we know our children need. And it's a hard first step and you make missteps and there's a lot you don't know, but you have to take those first steps. And then you start to build your knowledge base. You start to build what it means to truly advocate for your child. And I will forever feel guilt that I didn't figure it out fast enough. And yet I feel like I've learned how things get done in the system, right? And that's sort of a core understanding that anyone who's trying to navigate this country at large, it's something you've got to learn to get anything done. And that's what I learned. It was hard though, really hard. When I was writing my book, The Likeability Trap, one of the Latinas I interviewed said that Latinas are raised with a PhD in graciousness. And sometimes being a fierce advocate requires you to be ungracious. Yeah. And you know, we've heard it. Speak up even when your voice trembles, right? My voice has trembled a lot (laughs) in the last five or six, seven years. but. It's time now, it's time for us as Latinas to have that voice. When I first started Latinos for Education, agitate when necessary is one of our core values. And so I urge the Latinas listening to this, take that on because it's our time now to do that. Amanda, thank you so much for doing this. You're very welcome. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Polina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.